welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host this afternoon, Garrett Farrell, and I'm joined with Waco legend, defense attorney, Rod Goble. How are you Waco doing? Waco legend. <laughs> How are you doing, Rod? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be here. Oh, man. It's wonderful to be up here in your office. You get to see the courthouse. You get to see all the way up here. It's a very cool spot. It's a pretty view. I like being up high so I can look over. I tell people I'm the highest lawyer in town. But. <laughs> yeah, I could, uh, I could see that. Well, um, so thank you for joining the podcast today. Um, normally, we kind of start all these with um, your story, how you got to where you are from uh, point A to point B, uh, now where uh, you are. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, I will be glad to. Basically, I'm a has-been. I'm 70 years old and been doing this. I went to Baylor undergraduate for three years and then Baylor Law School. 76, went to work in the McLennan County DA's office and really enjoyed every single moment of it. Uh, and actually in 1980, I went to work for a civil law firm, great group of lawyers, and after three years decided I didn't really enjoy the civil practice, so I, I opened up my own office and been doing criminal ever since. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so you've been you've been practicing for what here almost 30, 40 years? Actually, it's 46 years. 46 years. 46 years. All in McLennan County? All in McLennan County. Oh. I spent 4 years in the DA's office and like I say 3 years with the civil law firm and actually did some back then every attorney was appointed on criminal cases and so I do our partners criminal cases enjoy dealing with them other than our civil clients. And then um, got board certified, I guess, in golly, 80, early 80s in criminal law, and been municipal court judge of Woodway ever since 1982, I guess. So, so I've been on the defense, I've been on the prosecution, and I've been municipal court judge. So, so, so you've seen it all at the criminal level. <laughs> I, I've I've gone everywhere from traffic tickets to capital murder. So. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible. So right now you're still a municipal judge as well in Woodway. I am. I've been out at Woodway forever, and it's just a very very minor situation. We're out there oh three or four hours a week. We have a pretty cool teen court program that we do on uh, once a month on Saturday morning. So so I've been doing that for golly forty years. Um, and is that a lot of like traffic tickets or is it's that primarily traffic? and violations. Now we do have death penalty cases in municipal court. We determine whether or not a dog should be put to death if he's a dangerous dog. So really? so I tell people we have death penalty jurisdiction in our class C court. <laughs> I did not know that. I uh, would have never guessed that. Yeah, you learn you something new every day. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, thank you for being here. And um, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit through uh, Waco and stuff, uh, actually using your wife Kara as a realtor for our house here. So um, I we I remember we went to lunch a few months ago, and um, something really stuck with me while we were there about your relationship with prosecutors, and um, that was kind of something I wanted to start our talk with today. Is um, it seems like you have a really good relationship with prosecutors, so. How important do you find that to be, and how do you build that bridge, um, knowing that you're still in an adversarial relationship, in a sense? You know, I think that's a good question, and I think most experienced good attorneys do have an excellent relationship with the DA's office. Uh, and you and I previously talked. I have enjoyed our friendship over the years now. Um, but 
so often younger lawyers uh, really don't understand their function, I don't think, as defense attorneys and feel like they have to be at battle with the DA's office. No doubt, you have to represent your client as aggressively and assertively as you can. At the same time, in a county the size of McLennan County, it just is very, very, very important to maintain a personal relationship. Obviously, DAs come and go, and after they leave the DA's office, you become contemporaries and friends. So so you, you should, in my opinion, get to know the DA's office and build a very, very good working relationship with them. Uh, and the bottom line is, is communicating with, with honesty and, and ethically with them. And uh, do you find it difficult at all with kind of the rotating DA system, I guess, here that Waco's seen recently? Um, do you find it difficult at all to maintain those relationships or uh, those bonds through the new um, regimes, I guess? Things have been unusual in Waco for several years, and, and absolutely it's been more difficult because we've had such turnover, especially the last four years. Seems like you kind of get to know people and you get a working relationship with you, them, and then next thing you know, they're no longer employed. So, yeah, it's been a little more difficult. Um, but again, since I do exclusively criminal law, I deal with those people literally five days a week, and, and you get to know people that way, and, and it's a good thing. You know, they're lawyers, they're prosecutors, they have their job to do, and you need to understand that and you have your job to do and most of them seem to really understand that and it's it's a good working relationship between most lawyers and most prosecutors as well as judges yeah that's what you tend to hear i feel like you hear a lot with the criminal law that the lawyers on either side of the spectrum uh tend to work well with each other uh, each other compared to um civil law where there may be a little bit more of an adversarial uh, kind of attack the lawyer type of deal going on. No doubt about it. I, I quite frankly did not enjoy the uh, the civil cases that I handled and and I, I I felt there was less genuine conversations between the lawyers and, and I prefer the world that we're in. We, we all have our job to do it and each side recognizes it. Being in McLennan County is a nice size county to be with because there are what 20 some prosecutors so you pretty much get to know everybody and I guess now there are approximately 100 criminal defense attorneys but wow. it's still a small world when you do that day after day wow a hundred criminal defense attorneys in it's amazing that's uh that's a lot of them now one reason I've done so much criminal work is back in the day uh, there used to be very few attorneys that did criminal work and so there were probably eight or ten of us that would do golly 80 percent of the criminal cases so the world has changed yeah yeah I, I understand Waco's expanding a lot recently so uh, I guess that means more lawyers more more everything huh yeah and a lot of people unfortunately and as as you hopefully will not find out but finding employment after law school has become more and more difficult and there are a lot of lawyers that have been unable to find a job they were looking for and so they just open up their own office and try to get on the criminal appointment list right off the bat so and that, that leads to some frustration because people don't get to know each other as well. And, and communication is a key. Yeah, yeah, it seems like communication and relationship building are two very big aspects, especially in like a smaller town like Waco where Correct. you still do have only 20 prosecutors, although there may be 100 or so defense attorneys and other attorneys coming from other counties. Um, 
relationship building still remains a big key it sounds it, like it is a big key and uh yeah there are a few attorneys that that are very antagonistic and you know there are cases sometimes that's called for and necessary in the long run i think most of those type of lawyers end up not doing as well with their clients because they're not able to plea bargain and probably 95 percent of the cases i have end up with a plea bargain and so having a good relationship is is critical and i think it's important for for the younger lawyers to understand and your your law students just because you have a good relationship doesn't mean you cave in it's fine to go into court and you're adversarial and you insist on your client's rights but at the same time when the case is over you're a friend and you should have respect for the other side and vice versa so so having good relationships doesn't mean that you're you're going to do whatever the other side wants you to do um you just do it in a professional manner yeah i i totally get that and um with that like kind of relationship building do you find that plea bargaining gets a little more comfortable with the prosecutors knowing how they're gonna plea and how they're gonna um work a lot of the cases that you see it does and especially the longer the prosecutor is there the the easier it is to work with um you know there are defense attorneys and there are prosecutors that know what the bottom line of their position would be and yet they don't want to disclose things to the to the prosecution or the prosecution doesn't want to to the fence which is a lot of reason why a lot of times on Monday morning a day of trial a lot of cases fall through where if if they had a better relationship and a more candid open relationship you would get to the bottom line much quicker yeah yeah that relationship building is very important um, which is a good thing to know going into practice soon and um, in a couple of years here. Another point I kind of wanted to bring up is what uh, drew you away from prosecution? Why did you decide to end up uh, becoming a defense attorney? You know, to me, it's kind of interesting in the sense that when I was a prosecutor, you know, I felt I was doing God's work and that, that I needed to be rough and tough and, and aggressive. And, uh, and when I left the DA's office, I thought, you know, I don't want to represent those people. Although after four years, you kind of get to know the system and the people better. Then when I went with the, the uh, civil firm and I did a few court appointments, I found out that the people that I was representing charged with a variety of offenses a lot of times were more open and honest and reasonable to deal with than my civil clients who were pretty big investors. We were in a very, I was in a firm that represented a lot of businesses and quite frankly, I got to where I enjoyed my criminal clients much more than my civil clients. Um, and as you're in the system for a little while, most of what you're trying to do is problem solve and, and get people help that they need. Uh, because if you can help someone rehabilitate, do better and get on the right path, that's a win-win for both the prosecution and the defense. So, so that's what a lot of practicing criminal law is, is trying to find some happy medium and, and help people uh, both from the defense and the prosecution. And you think you found that more on the defense side personally for yourself? Um, you know, I've been doing the defense side. It's hard to say. At the same time, there are some prosecutors that are very interested uh, in trying to help people. The big area right now, I think the society is finally recognizing, is we've got a real problem with mental health cases. And one of our new DA's goal is to try to get things better. And there are so many people that have mental health issues that 
are not what you call the, the normal criminal type person. And there are prosecutors and people in the system now that recognize that, and I think the goal is to try to help those people. So, so not all prosecution uh, people feel like we have to lock them up forever. There are a lot of people that are trying to protect all of us as citizens and at the same time try to work with people with problems to avoid them having future problems. Yeah, I think uh, I think I notice that a lot more now that there's like the the veterans courts and uh, certain like rehabilitation programs, and you see a lot more probation and stuff like that trying to rehabilitate. Uh, yeah, like and I was DWI real proud cases. of the fact that I was. Uh, there were three of us that actually started the DWI court in Waco, a judge, a prosecutor, and I, and we went to various trainings and got it up and going. And you know that's been a really really successful program. And the rate of, of recidivism among drug and alcohol people, I think, has dropped as a result of that. Judge Vic David Nagam, uh, the judge of that court, has just done an outstanding job of, of trying to work with those people and making them successful in the future so they don't reoffend. And how did that uh, how did that all come about, the, doing the uh, DWI court? Golly, it was 20 years ago or so. It, I think Arizona was the first state that started doing that. There were some pilot programs um, throughout the country, and then uh, our judge here was Mike Freeman, and he was interested in starting something. And so Patrick Brady, uh, a prosecutor at the time, and Judge Freeman and I kind of met with the state official and and got that the ball rolling and. Of course, it has been successful, and now there are grants and a lot of other things that have helped spread throughout. But Waco was one of the first places in Texas that had a DWI court. And again, the key is uh, Judge Vic, as we call him, has done such a great job maintaining it and keeping it up to speed. Yeah, and I remember on the uh, the Judge Vic episode of the podcast, he spoke about you a few times as well. You guys were partners early on in your defense career, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't get rid of the guy, basically. <laughs> I, uh, I taught uh, a juvenile law class in the law school for a number of years. He was in my class, and and then he wanted to do an internship in my office. And, and Vic was one of these guys that would always ask all these intellectual questions, and I'm thinking, gosh, ask a lawyer. Somebody that knows this, don't ask me. <laughs> and uh, so then Vic wanted to do a criminal defense uh internship and at that time it had never been done before so i said sure vic get the dean to approve it and you can do it in my office and doggone it if he didn't get it done then i couldn't get rid of him he studied for the bar in my office and and so he stuck for over 20 years until he was appointed as judge and vic is a brilliant brilliant very 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 capable lawyer and and he was actually kind of like an older brother to my boys so so we've just always had a an excellent relationship and and I miss practicing law with him. We, we've tried a lot of cases together. Yeah, that's very cool. And then it's cool that you guys are still around town together. He's a judge here and still have that working relationship. Um, yeah, after he good. became judge, I was I, he and I decided, you know, I couldn't practice in his court for a year or so. So yeah. it was unusual to start practicing in his court and because <laughs> uh, he's still a personal friend, but, but a great judge. Yeah, that's that's great. And you you spoke about your kids too. I uh, I know at least one of your sons is a, a jag down in Fort Hood right now, right? He is. He is a uh, major down at Fort Hood, and he's heading up the new uh, sexual assault violent offender program at Fort Hood as a result of all the the Guillen controversy we've had. He's mm-hmm. been working with that, and so 
he's been in Afghanistan. He's been all over, but he is a lawyer and been with the JAG for, golly, 14 years now. It's very cool. It seems like the criminal law sort of side of uh, the law runs in the family now, huh? It, it does. He he. It was a little while uh, before he was able to enter the JAG, so he and I got to practice together. He and Vic and I practiced together for golly nine months or a year and and it was great to practice with him wow that's that's really cool you guys get to kind of have that close bond together and uh work together as well which yeah, is yeah nice. we we still we still talk about cases he actually just the army ended up putting him through where he got his master's degree up at george washington in dc and oh, wow. and he specialized in criminal law so we we had a lot of good conversations about things yeah that's that's very cool so um, this is completely off the topic of criminal law, but I remember a story a while back while I was in this office with you um, that you had a celebrity um, in your presence at one point. Um, do you want to tell me about that story again <laughs> while, we're, while we're around? Yeah. Because uh, that's a fun story, I it, think, that it, people It is a fun story. It was a guy named Kevin Reynolds, and we were fraternity brothers. Uh, his father was the uh, president of Baylor, and then uh, we were study partners. There were four of us that went through law school together, and Kevin always decided he wanted to, to make movies and write movies rather than go to law school, uh, and he actually, the old Patrick Swayze movie, uh, Red Dawn, he wrote that rather than studying contracts. He, he would sit in class and, and work on scripts, really crazy, and then... Uh, he went out to uh, California and ended up meeting Kevin Costner, and uh, he did a movie called Fandango and has done tons of movies, and he and Costner are good friends, and, and I think the story you're referring to, I Reynolds, of course, was a good friend and, and as a municipal court judge, and, and at one time I was pre-ministry, I can perform wedding ceremonies, and so I actually went to California and performed his wedding ceremony, and Kevin Costner came to the wedding and came the day before and watched a baseball game. So, so those of us from Waco that went out to California for the wedding had a, a blast meeting those kind of folks. So yeah, that is very cool. And now, Kevin Costner is on one of my favorite shows right now, Yellowstone. So uh, and I want to know what's going to happen in the <laughs> in the summer sequel. We got yeah. into Yellowstone. It's a it's a great show. Oh, so yeah, yeah, and and the. You know, I, I, he's the only person like that I guess I've ever known, but sitting there watching a ball game with him, it sounds crazy. He was just an everyday, normal person, just yeah. couldn't have been any nicer and and talked baseball and, and we drank a couple beers and, and it was just really a unique, odd situation to meet somebody like that. And You know, he, I'm surprised he hadn't called me up to seek my advice on anything. I expect he'll be calling me any time. I'm sure he will. They were just filming in Texas a few weeks ago, I saw. They they were. They were. I'm surprised he didn't call you up. But I guess back to the criminal law stuff now that we've had our our little topic of uh, Kevin Costner. Um, You spoke about teaching juvenile justice a little bit um, at the law school. Uh, How did that come about, and how did you... uh, teach that course you know juvenile law of course has expanded greatly over the last 20 years i was actually a juvenile prosecutor i always kind of had the idea of working with kids uh, when i was in high school and thought originally i might go into that type of social work Mm -hmm. but i became a juvenile prosecutor and maintained that even though i did the felonies and other cases in the da's office 
And so I just always enjoyed handling juvenile cases. And so the law school wanted adjunct professor that had some experience. And so I was honored to have that privilege of doing that for a number of years. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I think the juvenile system is very interesting. I haven't gotten the take chance to take juvenile justice yet at the law school, but um, I know Judge Cooley's teaching it right now, and we just had him on the podcast recently, and he was uh, great to talk to. So uh, he, he, you know, I hate to say this, uh, but he's just a super judge and does an excellent job. He's really interested in in the kids, and so I hate to say it because I don't want to sound like I'm sucking up to him, but but he really really. <laughs> is a very very practical excellent judge and and does a super job on juvenile cases and alan bennett is going to be our new juvenile judge and and i have a feeling he'll be a very very competent good judge too yeah that'll be very good and um before we were recording the episode you're talking a little bit about one of the requirements you had for your um course where you wanted your uh students to kind of go and uh go to the courtroom and observe but um you also had sort of a unique requirement that uh i wanted you to talk about a little bit too yeah you and i talked about you know our discussion for this and trying to give practical advice to the young young lawyers and one thing i did on my juvenile law final without telling him it is coming i one of my questions would be what is the name of the court coordinator at the juvenile justice system because i would always have my classes go observe and then I would ask him the name of the bailiff. And, uh, and then I put a little note indicating, well, I wasn't actually going to take off from their grade if they didn't know that, but how important it is for lawyers to get to know the support staff and work with them. And I just think all criminal lawyers need to know the support staff, the clerks, the bailiffs, because they can be innumerable help, help in so many, many ways. They're, they're important people. They're, quite frankly, they're, uh, I hate to say they're more important than the judge, but in many, many ways, they can be a whole lot more helpful than the judges can be. Yeah, I've heard many stories about uh, people using the bailiffs and the, the court reporters and everything and them being able to help them out. Uh, I've heard even people bring coffee to the court reporters and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. And after trials, especially back when I was in the DA's office, I started this, but I would usually meet with the court reporter and the bailiff uh, the week after trial and say, hey, what did you think about it? What did you like? What did you not like? And get some very, very candid reviews of, well, if I had been you, I, I think he should have done that. And constructive criticism, and it was always a great, great learning experience. So, yeah, so they can be tremendous help. Uh, the bailiffs can be an, an amazing help. You know, we fortunately, most people I represent aren't a problem in the courtroom. Um, but but they can be an amazing help talking to the clients. I didn't realize this for a number of years, but back in the day when we didn't do Zoom and they would transfer people from the county jail some miles away from the courthouse, the bailiffs would get the, the clients ready for court. And you know when they say things like, well, you have a really good attorney. I know your attorney is really going to try to help you. That has a tremendous influence on, on the attitude of your client. So... So there are so many intangible ways that those those ladies and gentlemen can help you. Yeah, that is great. Um, so I guess we're kind of switching to the second half of the podcast, and we're trying something new um, where we have taken almost mail-in questions to uh, uh, from students and uh, 
see what you think about them. So this first one uh, today comes from Nick Godowski, and he asked, when you have a client that um, you know is guilty, how do you zealously represent that client when you know that there's um, they're guilty or they have um you know, that, that's a great question, and, and we told the Kevin Costner story. When I first met him and he asked what I did, I told him I did criminal law, and, and so he asked me, he said, how can you represent someone when you know they're guilty? And so I, I thought, wow, that's, that's really unusual. But I think I learned in the DA's office that basically my role as a defense attorney and the role of defense attorneys is you're really not only representing that individual because you want to do the best you can do for them, but you're representing the system. Mm-hmm. And while there are a lot of clients who, who will lie that are guilty that don't want to admit it, bottom line is you're not the judge and jury. And you want them to be treated fairly within the system. And if you don't do full discovery, if you don't investigate the case, if you don't give them their options, then you you could very very easily end up with somebody that that is not guilty in the penitentiary so so you got to keep in mind you're representing the system this may sound cold-hearted but i've been involved in a lot of trials that were very very dangerous violent people with bad records if we if they insisted on a jury trial we go to jury trial and they would get a life sentence i I quite frankly would feel, well, they had a fair trial. They were fairly represented. They got to say their point of view, and a jury uh, heard what they had to say and wouldn't lose sleep over it. On the flip side, if you represent someone that you you truly believe is innocent, those are the kind you can lose a lot of sleep over. So bottom line is you've, you've got to realize, and prosecutors, when people get out of law school become a prosecutor, they need to keep in mind the defense attorney is is representing the system. And uh, while our goal is to do the best we can for our clients, it's also to make sure our system uh, works in the way that it does because it it is a good system and it works fairly well most of the time. Yeah, sort of the beauty of the system. Everybody gets their fair shot and they need a good defense attorney like you to help them uh, give them that shot. And, you know, I've had a lot of clients. I made the predetermination Yes, there is guilty of sin, and if I quit trying to work for them and investigating it, uh, and most of them are, but I've also had people that I felt were guilty as they could be, and as time went on, I finally realized, hey, they are, uh, they're actually are innocent. What, what they've said that sounded far-fetched, really, once we investigated it, it turned out that, in fact, they, they did have some, some good reasoning for what occurred. So, yeah. so you just can't be judgmental, and you have to leave it up to the system. Yeah, it's important to get all the evidence and know exactly uh, absolutely what's going on with the case. Otherwise, you could make those wrong judgments. And, of course, we don't want anybody put away for the crime they didn't commit. So it's important. But um, I guess we're kind of wrapping up here. So are there any is there anything that we didn't really cover that you want to? You know, the one tip about? I would think for young lawyers is not to keep an involved journal or a diary, but I wish over the years I had made myself some notes. Primarily, there are, one thing I enjoy about criminal law, you got to maintain a sense of humor, and there are a lot of things that, that come up that we joke around the office, uh, and and you, you, you develop a certain warped sense of humor maybe, but for example, last week I got appointed on a case, I called the guy up, he's in jail, 
And I told him who I was, and I said, I'm your appointed attorney, and I want to do everything I can do to help you. And he said, well, you know, I understand my constitutional rights. And I said, well, you know, I'm glad you do. I'm glad to try to answer any questions you might have and see what we need to do. He says, no, I, I understand my constitutional rights. I have a right to remain silent, and I'm going to remain silent. And he has refused to talk to me ever since because he has a constitutional right to remain silent. Oh, and, wow. you know, there are just a lot of funny little things that happen. And and I wish over the years I had kept notes of that. Uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of people that literally uh, on an assault case, for example, would say, you know, I, I never did hit that person. But if I did, it was self-defense. <laughs> and, and a lot of little tidbits. Another one, of course, people have to give urinalysis tests, see if they've been using drugs or not. And uh, not too long ago, I had a client say, and, I, you know, I'll ask them before we go to court and let them know they're going to have to give a UA. And I'll ask them, are you going to be clean or dirty? And I had a client not too long ago say, well, I won't be clean, clean, but I'm not going to be dirty, dirty. <laughs> and, you know, the sad thing is I understood exactly what he was saying. So, so uh, among other things, just... Just keep little notes of things like that that uh, that are either humorous and and it's amazing how you forget some of the jury trials you've been involved in and and I wish now I had a few little notes about some of the jury trials because some of them are pretty good stories and and really interesting you you never know what's going to happen during a, a jury trial and so so I wish I had kept more of a journal just for personal use I wouldn't care to write a book but. Uh, but it would have been fun to be able to look over the years and see see some of the funny things and interesting trials. So it's very cool. I think uh, sounds like you've had a lot of fun in your career and you've really enjoyed your career, which is an important part of uh, being a criminal attorney. I think is a lot of them get to enjoy their career and have a long, healthy career. You know, and I I think that's one thing that's really unique among criminal defense lawyers. I think generally speaking. Uh, most of us really have enjoyed what they do. Yeah, I'm to the point where I've cut back a lot on, on what I do, but I don't want to retire. I want to keep working. I enjoy coming to work. And, and while I may take off early afternoons a lot of days, I, uh, I, I just enjoy what I do, and, and I enjoy the people I represent, the people I work with. And so, uh, so anybody interested in criminal law, I would highly, highly encourage them to do it. Yeah, the DA's office is a great place to start off. Uh, I love my time in the DA's office. Or if if that doesn't work out, just trying to get with uh, attorneys that do strictly criminal law, I would highly, highly recommend because it's a, a, a great career. Yeah. And on that note, we will uh, end the episode here. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, Garrett. And this has been another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. And we will catch you all next time. Thank you.